We're going to move quickly here. While you remain standing, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, for those of you who maybe just joined us for the first time, this fall we have been in a series of messages that we have simply entitled Finishing Strong, Being Prepared for the Days Ahead and How to Overcome. And I have shared with you each week that even though it's a very sobering thought, the reality is we do not know what the future holds for Christianity in the United States of America. That's an ominous statement, I realize that, but we just don't know. It's easy to assume that because we've always had religious freedoms in this country, we always will, and probably we will. But if where we are right now and the direction that we are currently heading in are any indication, Christians could be in for some very rough times ahead. But we want to make sure that if those days happen, that we are prepared for them. That we know how to navigate those days and to overcome. Now we're praying for the best. We're believing for the best. We're thankful for leaders who acknowledge God. And we pray that they're in positions to keep those freedoms. But we don't know what the future will hold. We want to be ready. But the reality is, even if those days never come, and we pray that they don't, you're still going to have a trial of faith. Your faith will still be tested. And we want to make sure that when those days of trial come, that we're prepared for them and we know how to overcome. And we've been looking at this through the lens of the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, a letter we know as 2 Timothy. Timothy Timothy was a spiritual son of Paul. Paul is actually writing this letter in prison just weeks away from his own execution for his faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing his departure is at hand, he is giving final instructions to Timothy on how to navigate these days and how to overcome. And we're learning from that same letter. This is what we read today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse number 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. That word just means set apart and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. This morning I want to share with you a very simple message entitled, Grow Up. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and tell him to grow up. (laughs) Lord, we just ask that in these next few moments that you would guide us through your word. May you convict us where we need to be convicted. May we be challenged where we need to be challenged. May we be comforted where we need to be comforted. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. And amen. Come on, give the Lord praise one more time in his house. And you know what you do. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the other day I was, I was thinking about what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter number 4. And he's talking to them about the fivefold ministry. He's talking to them about apostles and prophets and evangelists, teachers and pastors. And he says that they were given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What a beautiful picture of how church is to operate. My ministry as a pastor 
is to equip you as the saints to do the work of ministry among yourselves. Isn't that interesting? You think it's my responsibility to do all of that ministry. No, it's my responsibility to stand here and faithfully teach the Word of God and equip you to work the work of ministry among yourselves. And it says to edify the body of Christ. The word edify means to build it up. So every week I am to faithfully stand before you, equipping you through the Word of God on how to minister to one another. And you minister to one another, building each other up for the glory of God. And we do that till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I am to preach Christ to you. And you then are to take those messages and you are to minister to one another. You are to build each other up into what? Into Christ Jesus. So that we become the visible representation of Jesus Christ in the earth that we live in today. Now, as I read that this week, I thought to myself, and I believe it's safe to say, that one of the greatest challenges facing the body of Christ, at least in the United States of America today, has to be maturity. Is developing in the Lord is a commitment to actually becoming more like Jesus Christ. And what is important to understand is that without it, we will never finish strong. And that is attested to in our very text. Without a commitment to grow in the Lord and to become more like Christ, the Bible says we are going to continually be tossed to and fro and deceived. Without a commitment to continual growth in Christ and a proper evaluation of that growth on an ongoing and regular basis, we will be tossed around with every wind of false teaching, with trickery, or you might even say with the sleight of hand techniques that crafty men posing as spiritual leaders have and their sinister plots that they devise in order to exploit our lives. Folks, we live in an age of deception. Can you say amen? We live in an age of false news. We, we, we are living in an age where there are storms, where there are trials, where there are tests. And if you are not anchored in Jesus Christ, you're going to spend your days tossed to and fro, driven by all of that deception unto your own destruction. But if you're building yourself up in Christ, you are anchored in truth and you will overcome in the end in Jesus' name. We need to be committed indeed, and not just in word, to growing and maturing in Christ, of becoming more and more like Him every day, and to, as we did a moment ago in communion, examine ourselves to make sure that we are growing in Jesus Christ. Remember when we were kids, and it wasn't just us, we did it with our children as well as they were growing up, but remember when we became aware of the fact that we weren't going to be little forever, but we were actually growing that what did we do? We had a designated wall or maybe it was in the door frame and we would go and stand and we'd have our parents mark out where we were and then they would date it. How many of you did that? How many of you did that? Come on, growing up. How many of you did it with your children growing up, okay? We've all done it. And for a child, it's very exciting, you know. They would come to you once a day. Sometimes they'd come to you twice a day and say, measure me now, measure me now. Because it was exciting to be able to stand on that wall and see the progress that you were making day after day, week after week, month after month, and even year after year. Wouldn't it be great if there was a designated room right here in Bethel that you could come in week after week, month after month, for those of you that only come at Christmas, year after year, that you could come, all right, and you could actually stand and see if you've grown, how much you've grown, maybe how much you've regressed. Wouldn't it be great if there was an objective standard by which you could actually measure your growth and your development in Jesus Christ? That would be excellent. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't think I'd go to that church. I, I wouldn't want to know. Ignorance is bliss for some of you. Wouldn't it be great if there was an objective standard? 
Not a subjective standard. Because listen, if I were to ask all of you, are you growing in the Lord? I can, I can assure you that everyone said, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm growing in the Lord, man. I, I am not the same I was last week or even a month ago or a year ago. I'm changed. But what standard are you measuring that on? Is it your standard? Are you measuring yourself up against another believer? Or are you measuring yourself up among unbelievers? I mean, how do you go about measuring your growth and development? We need an objective standard, a standard that is impartial, that is true to all of us. Well, can I tell you? That's why we preach the Word of God here every Sunday. Because the Word of God is the objective standard by which we measure our growth and development. You're not going to be judged one day by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords according to your standard. According to my standard. You're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of your life through the Word of God that He has revealed to mankind. It is impartial. It is true of all mankind. And that's why we faithfully teach the Word of God here. So that not only are you being encouraged in the Word of God, but that you can actually measure yourself. How am I doing in these things? Am I actually growing in these areas or am I regressing? Have I stagnated? Where am I in that growth? I was thinking about it over the weekend. There are several references in the Old Testament to the Word of God or the commandments of God, the laws of God as a plumb line. Now, we don't know plumb lines like they did in those days. Today, we have lasers and we have levels. But a plumb line was simply a string with a weight at the bottom. And you would hang that vertically and it would give you a straight line vertically. And when you would build a wall, whether it was with wood or stone, you would use that plumb line to make sure that your wall was straight, was plumb with that line because it was giving you a true and accurate vertical line. Can I tell you that the Word of God is our plumb line? It lies from heaven to man so that as we build our lives, we are making sure that we are building properly and we are not deviating and crooked. Can I hear a better amen than that? I'm just telling you right now, you're not going to get to heaven one day and God is going to say, well, how do you think you did? God is going to open up the books and say, let me show you how you did. He's judging you according to his word. And we need to be evaluating our growth before him. Now this morning, I want to begin by working through the portion of scripture we just read. But I want to go through it backwards. I actually want to start where Paul ended. And it really begins there at verse number 24. He says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, I've been reading this portion of scripture for at least the last three weeks, really trying to understand exactly what Paul is saying here. And it dawned on me just the other day that everything that Paul is telling Timothy and ultimately to every one of us to do in fleeing youthful lust, in pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, in not being argumentative and not in being capable of instructing from the Word of God, in being patient, in being humble, was for one purpose. That in humility, when we correct those who are living their lives in opposition to the Word of God, God might give them an opportunity to repent, to know the truth, to come to their senses, and to escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive in his deception. He says, I want you to know that the purpose... The reason that you are to grow and mature in the Lord is so that you will be useful to me. So that when you begin to correct those who are in opposition to the word of God, that God may provide them an opportunity to repent of their transgression, that they may know the truth, come to their senses, and escape the clutches of the wicked one. Now, I want to start here because it gives the purpose, or you might even say it gives the vision to growth. 
And you see, if you don't have a vision of why you are growing and you're just growing for growing's sake, that is unsustainable. If you just want to grow and develop as a believer, to grow and develop, that is not sustainable. Eventually, you're going to grow weary. You have to have a vision. You have to have a purpose for your growth. Because the Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. One translation says, without vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, the only way to grow is to actually restrain yourself. Isn't that interesting? Because we think of growth as expansion, and yet for true growth and expansion to take place, you have to restrain yourself. And that's true of any area of life. If you want to build a business, you need a vision of what you want to accomplish in that business. Because if you don't, you're going to get your hands into things you, that are actually terrorizing your ability. You've got to have that vision, and it restrains your activity to those things that will actually help you fulfill that vision. That it's true in building wealth. It's true in, um, in your uh, relationships. It is true even in discipleship. In discipleship, the vision that we have in growing our faith should always be being used by God to see men and women repent from their sin, come to their sense, senses, and escape the snare of the wicked one. And driven by that vision, we restrain ourselves from any activity or from any relationship that would hinder us so that God might use us in these closing hours of human history. God has so much more for our lives. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God has so much more for your life. God has called us to great things But many of us have not reached the maturity that we need to do those great things for the glory and the honor of God. God has called us to be men and women who humbly confront those who are living in opposition to the word of God. Not in an arrogance, but in a humility so that God would provide them an opportunity to repent. To know the truth that sets them free. To come to their senses and literally to escape the enemy's wicked hands. Listen, folks, and I want you to listen very carefully to me because it would be very easy to take what I'm about to say in a direction I have no intention uh, to go in. Okay, so listen very carefully. I love our outreaches. I I love our Thanksgiving dinner. I hold that one very dear to my heart. I love every year how we all get together to serve our community at Thanksgiving. I love that. I love our day of hope. I I love our serve week. I love our food pantry. We serve hundreds of men and women every single week, every single month, right out of that little closet at the end there on my, on my left. We do that every week, and I love those projects, and we will always do them. But can I tell you the truth? At the end of the day, they're only facilitating a temporal need. And anyone can do that. I know, you don't like it. It's temporal. And anyone can do it. You can serve the hungry whether you're a Christian or not. You can clothe the naked. You can house the homeless whether you're a Christian or you are an atheist. Anybody can do that. It doesn't need any, you know, spiritual context to do it. We, we see it done all the time. Can I tell you that we have been entrusted with an eternal message that has eternal implications and only a follower of the Christ who rose from the dead can actually stand before men and women and declare to them that there is only one name given by which man may be saved and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do those other things? No, of course we should always do those things. But never see them as an end unto themselves, but only a means to an end. I want to give you this piece of bread so that you would remember that if you eat this bread, you'll be hungry in an hour. But I know bread that if you eat of it, you will never be hungry again. I can give you this glass of water, but you'll be thirsty in an hour. But I know water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. 
I can put this coat on your back. But you'll be cold again next year. But I have robes of righteousness that I can offer you through Jesus Christ. Come on, folks. God has called us to more and eternal things in Jesus' mighty name. Bless God. You know, I was reminded of a story you read in Acts chapter number 8. And this was after the church began to be persecuted in Jerusalem and they dispersed. And we're told in Acts chapter 8 that there was a man named Philip. He was just a deacon in the church. He went down to the city of Samaria and he opened up a food pantry. Is that what it says? It says he went down to the city of Samaria and he started a homeless shelter. No, he went down and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And no wonder why, for the very first time, someone came and gave to them what they truly needed. And that was a transformation within their heart and within their mind. Can I tell you? We're not peddlers of temporary happiness. We are men and women that have an eternal hope that gives them joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is a Christ that saves the sin, that saves men and women from bondage. And we need to preach it that there would be great, great joy in our city in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God all the praise if you believe it? (laughs) But... As excited as you are about that, it's going to require every one of us to grow up. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, grow up. We'll never be able to do this unless we grow up until we mature. And Paul offers a great illustration of this. Look at verse 20. But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. One translation says it this way. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and occasions, you could even say, and some for common, everyday use. Okay? What a great illustration. Like, he just sets it. This is a preacher's dream verse because he just sets it up so well. Let me just ask, how many of you have any of these beauties in your house, okay, Tupperware, uh, this one's all stained up, I couldn't find one with the taco meat stain and, and the spaghetti stains, how many of you know what I'm talking about, any of you have any of those that you've heated stuff so many times in it, it's now burned in, you know, but food always tastes better because it's seasoned now, right, so, <laughs> but we, we all have these, now, we used to have a whole lot more, but some of you know this year we had our kitchen remodeled, and so Kathy threw out all of the old ones, and we've got more of the stable ones. But even this one, I don't know what it is. Something is caked on there. But we all have that, and we all put our leftovers in it. And, you know, sometimes we put our lunches in these things, and we heat them up, and that's why they get all stained and everything. And am I the only one that every time I find one of these, the only lid I can find is this? You know, and you're just... You end up just pulling out the tin foil and stuff. Okay, now we all have these things, but do you serve your guests out of these? No. 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 <laughs> Some of you are thinking, yeah. <laughs> no, you, you, you don't. You, you don't serve. I mean, we don't have fine china. Some of you probably have china that was passed down to you from generation to generation. We don't have that, but certainly we have more formal wear. Um, Kathy, for years, uh, used to collect from, I think it was false crap, Kathy, she collected um, a Christmas set, and uh, every year I would buy her more for that, and she would, she would build that collection up, and, and now, around the holidays, she'll pull that out, and when we have guests over, she'll serve them in, in, uh, with that silverware and, and uh, with uh, the, the, those place settings and everything. When I have a guest come over, I don't serve them out of these things. Sometimes we even use, we're so lazy these days, we'll even use paper plates. Last night we dug out paper plates and red solo cups. Anybody else with me on that? It's just throw it away. Like it just, you know, it just, 
it cuts down on all the work, you know. If you come over to my house, I might show you some of the finer things that we have in the house. And we don't have many fine things, but I would want you to see those things. I would never take you to our hamper. I, I'd, I'd never show you our dirty laundry. I'd, I'd never take you to where we store our cleaning supplies. I'd, I'd never take you out where we keep the, the trash and all that. Because I just realized that you're a guest and you deserve a proper treatment. And this is what Paul's talking about. He talks about a great house here. He's not talking about a building. He's not talking about this church building. He's talking about the church, the called out ones. And here's what he's saying. This is tough, but he's saying that in the Christian faith, in the broader context, the church, there are some vessels that are gold and silver, and there are other vessels that are just wood and clay. These gold and silver vessels are for honor. They're for very special purposes, for very special occasions. And then the other vessels, they are for common use. The wood and the clay, pottery, they're just for common everyday purposes. What's interesting is that gold and silver endure. Gold and silver go on from generation to generation. In fact, when my grandmother passed away, she gave us... She didn't have the whole setting, but she did have um, pure silver ware. She had the forks and the knives and the, all of that, and she gave that to us. It's beautiful. And, and it, it, it's valuable. You want to pass that on from generation to generation. It endures. Um, it even becomes more valuable over time. Wood and clay, well, they rot. They crack. They break. And when you break those things, it's not a big deal. You don't, you don't worry about it. You just throw it away because I can go and buy that anywhere. It doesn't cost me anything to replace something that's wooden, something that's rubber. It, it doesn't take anything. They're not special at all. They're common. Folks, can I tell you, the illustration here is unmistakable. Everyone in this room this morning is a vessel everyone. There is no, some of you are not going to like this, you have no intrinsic value. There's nothing valuable about you. It's what's in you that is valuable, okay? And everyone in this room is a vessel. We're, we're all vessels. The only question is, are you a vessel of honor that is fit for special purposes? Or are you a vessel of dishonor fit only for common use? Use that anyone can do. Whether you're a Christian or not, anyone could do it. Everyone in this room is either a vessel of gold and silver or of wood and clay. You either have an enduring value or when you're gone, no one will really remember a week later. Now watch what Paul says, because I know some of you are thinking, oh my, this is why you've got to be able to measure yourself. And, and, but there's hope in there. I know that sounds a little dark, but listen to what he says in verse 21. Therefore, if, who? Say it out loud. If anyone, anyone is anyone. So that can be the person that's next to you, no matter what you think of them. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified, that means set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work that he calls us to. So this is not a, 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 this is a game changer, I should say. This should encourage every one of us. I'm not here to judge who is silver and gold and who is wood and clay. That's not my responsibility. That's above my pay grade. Only God can determine that. But what I can tell you is that if we are all right now wood and clay, if we will make a decision to cleanse ourselves from those things, then we can be a vessel of honor, set apart and useful for the master prepared for every good work. That's good news. If we will do it. What this is actually 
is is a call to maturity. Paul is calling us to maturity. Paul is telling us that we have a choice in this. This hasn't been predetermined. It hasn't been predestined. That if you are wood and clay, you're always going to be wood and clay. If you will make a decision to cleanse yourself of wood and clay thinking and living, you can come out as gold and silver useful for God to use in Jesus' mighty name. We can choose to cleanse ourselves, not of sin, because only Jesus can cleanse us from sin. But we can remove from ourselves the things that contaminate us, the things that promote decay, the things that make us fragile, the things that make us breakable, or we can allow decay to settle in. We can become ordinary vessels that are good for nothing but to be just thrown away. What he's calling us to do is never settle To just look to be used in a common manner because the kingdom of God is better than that. The kingdom of God deserves to be represented by more than just common men and women. But men and women who are committed to uncommon living. He is telling us that we need to pursue more, that we need to demand more, that we need to be strive to use, uh, be used in an uncommon, a supernatural manner. He's telling us to cleanse ourselves from common living, from common marriages, from common relationships, from common prayer, from common Bible reading, from common church attendance, to common activities, and to actually live an uncommon life and demand the uncommon and extraordinary things in Jesus' name. Why do you believe your Bible is filled with uncommon, extraordinary miracles. It is to urge you to live above this common world and to demand the extraordinary in Jesus' mighty name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God can use you in extraordinary ways. Amen. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessel. What is the treasure that we have? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We're always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. In other words, you can't keep a good man down. If a man has the resurrection power of Christ in him, he's coming back in Jesus' name. No matter what happens in their life life. You know something else that I was thinking about as I was reading that the other day? If you hard press wood and pottery, it's going to break. But if you hard press precious metals, if you throw precious metals into a fire, they're just going to get stronger and better and more pure in Jesus' mighty name. If you're made of gold and silver in Christ, The enemy can do anything he wants to. You're going to come out better in Jesus' name. We serve a great God. Can I hear an amen? We serve a great God. He has a great son. His spirit is great. He has great love for us that he demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has great power to save the sin-sick soul. He has great power to deliver the oppressed. He has great power to heal the sick. He has great power to restore the broken. And we have to make a decision. Are we content with delivering this great message on common vessels that are fragile and easily broken and rotting or are we going to serve this great message on vessels of silver and gold vessels that have come out of the fire and are tested tried and true should we be serving the gospel in Tupperware and plastic plates or should we be doing it on the finest china in Jesus Come on, everybody. Say amen. Bless God. How do we do it? Prayerfully, you want to be used in an uncommon way. If you're like, eh, you know what? I'm settling for the common. I'll wait till after you to die to see how that worked for you. I'm not here to tell you whether you're saved or not. I'm just going to tell you what I've noticed in 30 years. 
People that settled out never finish strong. If you want to finish strong, you're going to have to demand more of yourself. You're going to have to go after more. You're going to have to do more if you're going to do great things for him. So what do we do? He actually lays out some things. Can you get, just give me a few more minutes? First of all, we've got to cleanse ourselves. He says, cleanse yourself. Now, remember, forgiveness of sin is only provided through Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can't save yourself. He's not saying that if you do enough good, it will expunge your bad. It's not that at all. He's talking to believers. And he's talking about cleansing ourselves, meaning that we are to put away from our lives anything and everything that contaminates our minds and our thoughts, that contaminates our hearts and our wills, and that contaminates our emotions. And that may even mean changing those who I associate with because relationships can be toxic and weaken my life as well. I need to go through my house. You need to go through your house. And you need to look at everything you're watching, everything you're listening to, everything you set before your eyes. You need to be taking the inventory on your daily life. And you need to start getting rid of anything that is contaminating your mind and your thoughts, that is contaminating your will, that is contaminating your emotions. Some of you say, I'm depressed all the time. Well, it's because you sit around and watch depressing movies all day long. Come on. I mean, let's wake up. And some of you, you know, you've stunted your growth in the Lord because of the people you're hanging with. You're hanging with critical people, judgmental people. They have nothing positive to say about anything. They are professing Christians, but their lives are full of sin and iniquity. And that duplicity is causing the struggle within your own heart. At some point, you've got to say, if I'm going to be a vessel of honor, I've got to rid myself of the dishonorable. In Jesus' name, cleanse yourself. The next one... He, he says, is flee youthful lust. Boy, I'm going to tell you, those are three powerful descriptive words. Flee youthful lust. Now, the word flee there, believe it or not, as I was studying it this week, was one of the strongest words in Paul's day as far as trying to escape. If the Greeks wanted to... to to share a sense of urgency with the situation and escaping it, they would use the Greek word for flee there. There was no stronger word. It actually carried the idea of being in a situation that if you remained one second longer, it would bring certain destruction. And knowing that, you had to flee. Fleeing meant don't look back. Don't ask any questions. Just get out of there because if you stay one more second, it'll kill you. That was what they were saying. I don't talk about this this often, but some of you know my dad's father, my grandfather, died when my father was three years old. He never knew his dad. There's a few memories of him, but never knew him. His father was killed in a work-related accident. He worked for Bell Telephone. How many of you dare to admit you remember Bell Telephone, okay? He worked for Bell, and they were putting up telephone poles. And as I understand it, this would have been 1947, somewhere in there. Um, in those days, they would set a telephone pole in the sling, and they would lower it into the hole. Well, that particular day, as they were lowering it, the telephone pole shifted in the sling and it fell. And what I was told, my grandfather's name was Harold as well as my father. And what I was told was that the workers immediately saw it. My, my grandfather was back too. And they yelled and they said, Harold, get out of the way. And they're told if he had just gotten out of the way immediately, he would have made it. But he did what all of us would have done. And in that split second, it came and crushed him. Wow. 
Folks, that's the imagery that's here. He's saying there's some things that are so lethal that you need to flee. You don't need to look back. You don't need to find out what you're fleeing for. You don't need to ask questions. Just get out quickly. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, if you entertain any of these youthful lusts, they'll kill you. Run as fast as you can. Lust, as many of you know, is a general term. We always go sexual with it. But lust is, it is just living your life like an animal. And I'll tell you, we all do it. Animals live not by intelligence, but instinct. They do what feels right. And there is a way that seems right to a man but it's end his destruction. That's what he's talking about. It's making your decisions based upon, well, this feels right. It seems right. I'm attracted to this. This is what I feel. It must be right. Because how could anything that feels so good, that satisfies me, that gratifies me, that gives me so much pleasure, how could that actually be wrong? So it is a life that is driven by my emotions rather than what is intelligent before the living God Almighty. It's putting myself ahead of everything else. That's what lust is. Is it sexual? Yeah, that's part of it. Because we know that God gave us all sexual desire. There's nothing wrong with sexual desire. God gave us that. But then he gave us a means by which the sexual desire can be totally fulfilled. It's called marriage between a husband and a wife, a male and a female. That is the provision that God made to satisfy that need. Any practice outside of that bound is actually destructive. And it's not just sexual, it's with anything. It's whenever you live by just your passions and what you want to do. But here he says youthful. Think back of your youthful days. How would you define your decision making when you were a teenager? Youthfulness is defined by selfishness. Youthfulness is defined by being impetuous rather than rational. And sometimes that's seen sexually. But it's also seen in how angry we can get. Remember when you were a young person, you just get so angry over just the little things. Sounds like a lot of you now. It's seen in depression. It's seen in impatience. It's the love of pleasure. And what's sad is many of us never grow out of it. We still live like we're teenagers. It's all about me, me, instead of living for the glory of God and for others. He says, flee from these things. Then, listen to what he says next, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Isn't it interesting? The Christian life is a matter of fleeing what is evil, but pursuing what is right. A lot of us are stagnant in our growth because we spend all of our time fleeing from the wrong, but we don't pursue what is right. It's not just about you and me fleeing from what grieves the heart of God. It's pursuing what actually thrills His heart. We are to pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? It is justice. And I don't want to get myself into any trouble here today, but I'm going to go for it anyway, okay? It's not social justice. Social justice is focused on rights and entitlements. God's justice is focused on responsibilities. God's justice is rendering to each one according to their deeds. What does that look like in my relationship with God? The greatest deed that Christ ever did for us is he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you agree that is the greatest thing that he has ever done? He loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in light of that deed, I render unto him what is right, what is right, to offer my body a living sacrifice wholly acceptable and pleasing unto him. It means every morning I get up and I say, Lord, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for the glory of my King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm to pursue righteousness. I'm to pursue faith. 
What is faith? Confidence in God. It means I'm not going to take matters into my own hands because I don't trust God that He's got my best interest at hand, but instead I'm going to obey God no matter where it sends me, no matter what He calls me to do, because I believe that within the context of obedience, God will take care of every need that I have. And if He doesn't, I didn't need it. How many of you know you don't need everything you want? I'm to pursue love. Love is disinterested benevolence, which means that everything I do is emptied of any selfish interest, of any selfish motive, and it is done for the glory of God and for the building up of my fellow man. A believer never sits and thinks about how this is going to work out for them. They sit down and they say, does this honor God? Does it build up my fellow man? If the answer to one of those questions is no, I don't do it. It doesn't matter whether I think it'll satisfy me or gratify me. If it doesn't honor God and build up my fellow man, the answer is no. And I am to pursue peace with all men. I'm going to be a peacemaker, which leads us to our last thing. Avoid foolish disputes. Oh, boy. Anybody notice there's a lot of arguing in the United States today? Evidently, some of you don't watch the news on a regular... There's a lot of argument on Facebook. If you want to be useful to God, avoid foolish, immature disputes. Do you know Paul had to warn Timothy of this three times in just one chapter? He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. You know what he's saying? He's saying, stop fighting like an immature child. That's what he's saying. Stop fighting like a third grader. Remember how we used to fight in third grade? Usually our fists weren't flying in third grade. But every fight ended with these immortal words. I know you are, but what am I? Remember? I've been pastoring for 30 years, 24 here. And I can tell you... In almost every counseling session, in marriage, in family disputes, in conflicts among others, I can sum it up with one phrase. I know you are, but what am I? Husbands and wives fighting like third graders in their 30s, their 40s, and their 50s. There's some of you that brag about how contentious you are on Facebook. You put, it, you, you put your immaturity out for the whole world to actually see. And then you have the audacity. Oh boy, I'm feeling bold right now. You have the audacity to come into church and tell everybody you're a follower of Christ. And then you wonder why Christianity is declining in this country. <laughs> Pastor Appreciation's coming up. Boy, <laughs> get myself in trouble man. we are to be gentle he says and the one I want to just bear down on and we're done you can come up able to teach you know I looked that up the other day and I was shocked to discover that when he uses those words able to teach he's not talking about ability He's talking about integrity. He's not, he's not saying able to teach in that you're a charismatic speaker and boy, you know how to put a good thought together. He's not talking about the ability to teach. He's talking about the integrity that is necessary to be heard. He's saying you need to be living your life in such a way that people will listen to what you say because they see no duplicity within it. You are what you teach men and women. 
says you've earned the right to be heard because you lived a life of excellence. I'm going to tell you, some of you husbands, your wife never listens to you. And it's not because you don't have anything good to say. It's because you haven't heard, you haven't earned the right to be heard. Wives, some of you, your, your husbands, <laughs> they never listen to you. We, we know that. But the reason that they never listen to you a lot of times is not because you don't have anything good to say, wives. You haven't earned the right to be heard. Some of you parents, you're not getting, getting ahead with your children at all, and you're thinking, well, what else do I need to say to them? No, it, it's not that you're not saying the right things. It's just you haven't earned the right to be heard in their life because they see the hypocrisy of your own life. If you want to be able to teach and to communicate, you have to earn the right to be heard because you've lived a life of excellence. And you can actually have authority when you speak. How many of you want to be vessels of honor? That's, that's the price. What happens when we do these things? Verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And what is that work? In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps should grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's what we're called to do, folks. And that can only be done through vessels of honor. I love what Paul said. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what we're called to do. But it can only be done in vessels of honor, gold and silver. And all of us can do it, will we? In Jesus' name. Father, we just bow in your presence. You are too great to be represented in wood and clay that rot and decay and break. You should be represented silver and gold. I pray that Bethel in the days ahead would never be content in being wood and clay, just doing common everyday things. May we strive to be gold and silver useful for greater works in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I love you, everybody. Have a wonderful afternoon. What time are we going to be back tonight? 4.30 tonight. God bless you. Have a great day.